Okay, we are in a series called Starting Strong, and what we're talking about is the book of Acts, and we haven't even gotten into the book of Acts yet, and we won't be in the book of Acts this week either, and here's why. Like, why do you have a series on the book of Acts and you're not going to preach out of Acts? Because Acts is a specific time of the church that is much different than the time we're in now. And so there needs to be some context built. There needs to be some, uh, what, did, what did community look like then and what does community look like now? And last week, that's what we talked about. What does it mean to be in community? What does it mean to do life with someone else in the context of having a relationship with Jesus? And so last week, I gave a very strong appeal, as strong as I could give, to join a small group. And so for some of you, I know that is just a a big ask, and the first thing out of your mouth is, I'm really, really busy. I totally get it. So am I. But I made the challenge last week. I said this. This was a very bold statement, and I'm a very bold person. Uh, If you got 10 people together, none of which wanted to be in a small group, and you put them in a small group, at the end of that time, at the end of that 10 weeks, they would all be happy they were in a small group, and they would all grow closer, and they would have stories to tell about how God moved through that small group. So if you don't want to be in one, I promise you, if you do it and you go through those 10 weeks, um, uh, you will not be um, disappointed. So if you are ready to take that shot, just go ahead and write that on in the back. Just say small groups, and, and hopefully the night that you can do it, and we'll get you into one, and those start in a couple weeks. So we're in this thing of starting strong. When I was in college, um, it was when computers were just starting to get, like the home computer was just starting uh, to come out. And so kids, for those of you who are uh, younger, there was a time that there were no computers, okay? And so my freshman year, there was this rich kid in our dorm, and he had his own computer. It was an Apple IIe with a floppy disk, and the, it really was floppy. Like it was like that, those kinds, right? And so I would always do my papers on his computer uh, because I didn't have one. I only had a typewriter. And man, I fell in love with technology. And by my senior year, uh, I had worked for the school. And when I left, they had given me a computer. I have a picture of it right here. It is a Macintosh SE. And for those who are on Facebook Live, I'm sorry, but go Google Macintosh SE. The SE stands for small and expensive. I mean, because that's, that's what that thing was. It was small and expensive. And so I got out of college and I went to go work for a company where they only use typewriters. And uh, we would do these forms called a 7512. It was a government form. It had seven copies. And you could do, if you were really good, you could do about six to seven in an hour. The problem is, if you made one mistake, one mistake, you had to start all over again. Because you couldn't white out seven copies of it. It had to be perfect, like the government's perfect. And, um, and so, so you would get down, you know, you'd be going and you, you know, you're, I got a deadline and you get right down to the end and it's like, you sign it, you know, you type in John written hoose. Ah, oh, no. And you tear it out and all this kind of stuff. So I brought the computer in. I tried to convince my boss that we could actually use a computer to do this, that we could type it in. And, um, and, and I, I went to Egghead Software. Do you guys remember Egghead Software? I went to Egghead Software, and I got a database program, and I brought it, and I said, this is it. I learned how to use it. And then I said, hey, we need to buy a printer because it doesn't do any good having all the ones and zeros in there if you can't print something. And the printer was $1,000. 
And here's this new kid out of college, shows up with this dorky little computer. And I'm like, we need a printer, we need a printer. I'd never set up any of this stuff before, but I just knew we did. So we did. We finally got it. And instead of doing six an hour, we were able to do 30 in an hour. And so that began my love of technology, and I just started buying computers and getting into it. So I'd go to this place called Macworld, which was a, um, just a computer convention, and I was there one time when Steve Jobs announced this, the iPod. I thought that was the dumbest idea in the world. Why would you need a thousand songs in your pocket? And I, I prophesied over that company, they would be dead in a year. This is the dumbest idea ever, but I wanted one. So, uh, I, so I got one, right? I got, bought this dumb thing. Then several years later, you're like, does this have anything to do with the Bible? It will. Uh, then uh, several years later, they come out with this phone. And I'm thinking to myself, you're going to die. Nobody's going to want a phone like that. And I prophesied over that company, and I said, you will be dead in a year. And the iPhone came, and then uh, we had that billion-dollar surplus or trillion-dollar surplus, and George Bush uh, bought me my first iPhone because uh, I bought one, and I've never looked back. Well, this week, the iPhone 7 came out, and I watched the keynote every single time they have one. And I found myself doing something really weird that I'd never done before. I started thinking, I don't, I don't need a new iPhone. What, what's, what does it have? And so I'm watching all the different things, and I'm like, meh, whatever. Like, think about this. The phone can go underwater, <laughs> and I'm like, well, whatever. Samsung could do that like a year ago. That's nice. Like, I realized I'm not impressed with technology anymore. Now, for you guys, you're like, what's the big deal? For me... I love technology. What, what happens if there's no technology that I'm impressed with? And then the thought came to me. This is how it must feel when you lose your passion and you lose the understanding of how the Holy Spirit can transform your life. The Holy Spirit is an iPhone. That's what I came up to. But this is what it's like when, when you're so used to something you're so used, I'm so used to my technology. I don't even think about it. And I'm not very impressed. And, and it's not a big deal. But I rely on it so heavily, but I just don't appreciate it. This morning, I want to introduce you to the Holy Spirit. I want to reintroduce you to the Holy Spirit. I want you to see the Holy Spirit the way Jesus sees the Holy Spirit. Now, for some of you, you might be new to church or whatever, and you're like, Holy Spirit? holy mackerel, I don't even know what that is. Well, it's a, there's a theology um, that's very difficult to wrap your head around, and you've probably heard people say, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. You've probably heard that phrase before. That is the theology of the Trinity. And the doctrine goes like this. There is one God, God, and he's made up of three individual persons, okay? I know, already I feel like taking a nap, but th th this, is the, this is the doctrine. The Father, our Heavenly Father, the Son, which is God in the flesh, uh, who, who came in the flesh, who is now back up with the Father, and the Holy Spirit, which is here with us now. What I want to talk to you about this morning is thinking about a fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit in your life. Maybe 
it's in the form of taking something out of your life. Maybe it's in the form of just beginning to invite him into situations. But I want to show you what Jesus thinks about the Holy Spirit and how this can maybe transform your spiritual life. I'm going to be in John um, chapter 14, okay? And what's happening is Jesus is trying to explain to the disciples that he's not going to be around very much longer. And they can't understand this. It's exactly like the new iPhone when it first came out. I could not wrap my head around why in the world you would need a phone like that. I had a Blackberry. I was like state of the art. Like there was no reason for me to have one of those phones. I just couldn't wrap my head around it. In the same way, Jesus is trying to explain to the disciples they've never seen anything like this and he had already changed what they were rooted in in religion with the, um, uh, with like the, the uh, uh, sacrifices and all these kind of things, a synagogue, all this kind of stuff. Jesus was beginning to change that and now he's talking about leaving. And so this is what he says to them and th- this is just an incredible, incredible statement that Jesus says. Ready? Here we go. John 14, 15. If you love me, keep my commandments. If you love me, keep my commandments. Another way to say this is if you want the fullness of the life I'm showing you, you're going to have to change the way you think about how you run your life. There's going to be some changes that you're going to have to make. If you love me, keep my commandments. Now, what are his commandments? Well, he's had several. I don't have time to go into them all, but Jesus's commandments would be something like this. Um, If someone insults you, bless them. Just bless them. If someone takes something from you and cheats you out of something, just give them more. If if you want to save your life, like if you want it to be all about you, uh, lose it. Rather than being served serve. He says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And then he says, and love your neighbor as yourself. These are the commands of Jesus, as well as, hey, don't treat people like objects. (laughs) Treat them with the value of the image that they've been created in. These are some of the commands. And Jesus says, if you love me, you'll keep my commands. Now watch what he does, because it's very difficult if you've ever tried to keep Jesus' commands. Some of them are very difficult, especially when you are wronged. You're like, what was the command again? Hit him in the jaw? Okay, great. I'll keep that one. Like, it's just very difficult. Now watch what he says. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate. He's going to give you a helper. And it sounds just like that when the Holy Spirit comes in the room. It sounds like it's very fantastic. I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate, a helper. Here's the very first thing I want you to see about the Holy Spirit. He's on your side. He's there to help. Is he God? Yes, he's God. It's the the doctrine of the Trinity. But he's your advocate. And it goes on. He will be with you forever. So for those of you who are followers of Jesus, look at your life, think of your week, and where was the Holy Spirit? Was he there? Did you talk to him? Did you see him move? Did you, did you, the Bible says, quench him? Did you tell him to be quiet? Was he talking and you're like, no, I don't want to hear that. (laughs) Where where, where was the Holy Spirit? Like Jesus we get and we can follow him and 
read the Bible, and Jesus is basically just someone who, uh, he's God who came down to show us how to live, and then made the sacrifice for us to be able to have a relationship with God. But where was the Holy Spirit? Now here's this, just this dynamic thing that Jesus says. This is how Jesus sees the Holy Spirit. Number one is your advocate. And then he has this next three words are just fascinating to me and so rich with meaning. He says, and you will ask the Father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The Spirit of Truth. Now, we're going to see in a couple weeks, we're going to start finally in the book of Acts, and we're going to go through 10 weeks of different stories and different ways the Holy Spirit moves. And you're going to have a couple different ways you can look at that. For some of you, you might see the miracles in Acts. You might see people speaking in tongues, okay? And you might shake your head, and you might have the air of disbelief. You might say, no, there's just no way. I watched the Discovery Channel. There must have been something else that happened to those people or whatever. Um, The other error we can make is that that's what we go after. We go after, like, well, how come that doesn't happen anymore? How do we get them? How do we get the Holy Spirit riled up to do something great? How do we, how do we work the system, okay? So there's one, one bookend that says, I don't believe it. And there's another one that says, well, I really need it, okay? What? The thing we have to understand is Jesus says about the Holy Spirit, he is the spirit of truth. The primary thing the Holy Spirit is going to try to tell you is the truth. The truth about you, the truth about the scriptures, and most importantly, the truth about God. And so Jesus says, if, if, if you keep my commandments, if you want the fullness, I can help you get there. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth. Now, part of the problem with the Holy Spirit, if I can say that, is that he does tell the truth. And oftentimes he asks us to do things or asks us not to do things that kind of seem natural in, 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 in the pattern, what we talked about last week, the pattern of the world, the pattern of what's going on. And we talked last week about the pattern of our world, or at least in America, is that we're, we're pretty individualistic. We're pretty selfish. Not in this church, but I heard about some other churches. But we're pretty, we're, 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 we're pretty self-centered. And maybe the Holy Spirit might tell you something like, do you know what? It's so much more important to be connected than to be isolated. And, and, and that's tough to hear. But he is the spirit of truth. He is your advocate. He's on your side. On the flip side, the Bible talks about the devil, talks about Satan. You know what his name is, actually? The father of lies. And so you've got this competing thing and, uh, that you want to see. Now watch what Jesus says. He, he says it's going to be difficult. He says the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. And so automatically we know that as the Holy Spirit begins to speak to us, and you've probably heard him before, uh, it's going to look a little different than, than, um, than the world. But watch what he says. This is, this is fantastic news. But you know him. You know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Now, have you ever had, you've just been sitting there thinking something, maybe you've been anxious about a certain situation. 
and you're nervous and you're thinking about, oh man. And all of a sudden you get this thought, you know what? Okay, let's say it really happens that bad. You still got the Lord. And you think, oh yeah, that is the Holy Spirit giving you truth. Truth about yourself and truth about God. Sometimes it comes in the form of a question. How come you're so, why are you so worried? Why are you so, why do you need so much attention? What, what, what is that? And, and oftentimes we don't like to hear it and we quench the Holy Spirit. What I'm inviting you to do this week is to chase after that stuff. When you get a thought, when you hear someone talk, and sometimes, and this is why small groups are so important, many, 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 many times the Holy Spirit will operate within that small group. Jesus said it this way. If you can get more, if you can get two or more people in a room together and just open the Bible, I'm going to be there. I'm going to be speaking. I'm going to be guiding. I'm going to be convicting. I'm going to be drawing you together. And so uh, he says, you know him. You, you, you've heard this. And it's easy for Jesus to say to the disciples, because Jesus was right there. And basically, it's the same. It's the same God uh, uh, talking to them. But he's going to leave. And he leaves us with this Holy Spirit. And he says, he lives with you and will be in you. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live. You will live. Now, this section of scripture in John chapter 14 is awesome because it is one of the chapters in which we get our doctrine of the Trinity. Because Jesus is talking about himself. He's talking about his heavenly Father, and he's talking about the Holy Spirit. The Father, Son, and Holy Spirit are all in this uh, section of Scripture together. He says, because I live, you will also live. When you look at the Holy Spirit in the book of Acts, sometimes the temptation is to look at the miracle and, 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 and long for that. And he, here's my belief. I believe all those things that you read in the book of Acts are absolutely uh, possible today. I believe all those miracles happened, and I believe that they can happen. I believe um, that uh, there's this one part where Peter and everybody starts, there's like these tongues of fire that people start, that's where we get the term speaking in tongues, that people start speaking in tongues. I absolutely believe that is possible today. As a matter of fact, our denomination uh, accepts all of the gifts of the Spirit as, as, uh, as true and possible for today. But why don't, why don't we see that? Why don't we see that type of move of the Holy Spirit? I believe, and I don't have any proof for this, but I, I believe we've just gotten used to God. That we've kind of gotten, just like technology, it's just hard for us to be wowed. And I believe, at least in my own life, that sometimes I think I'm too smart for that. This is just me talking. And I think there are areas of my life as I think about the movement of the Spirit, the power of the Spirit, that we as a culture, as a pattern, have quenched it. That we're, we don't want to risk because then we look foolish and that's, that's no good, right? We don't want to invest. We don't want to, we just kind of want it more as an app on our phone rather than the entire operating system. That I think... And what I'm going to challenge you to do this week and challenge myself to do is to look 
for the Spirit of God. Look for Him in conversations. Look for Him in in Him speaking to you. Maybe there's an area of life that He wants you to risk it all. He wants you to go up and talk to someone. You ever had that happen where you're sitting there, you're just minding your own business, and um, maybe you just get this thought, uh, you need to bless that person with some money. And you're like, I'm not going to bless anybody with my money. That's my money, right? You just quenched the Holy Spirit. <laughs> I've done it myself. Maybe sometimes it, it, you'll hear the, whole, uh, the, the, the word of God say to you, hey, go up. I want you to talk to that person. I want you to tell them uh, uh, um, that you're praying for them. And you're like, man, I, I don't know if I can do that. What I'm asking you to do this week is to go for it a little bit more to allow him more access, to allow him to move in in greater and greater ways. And I think as we do that, as we obey his commands, we begin to get the fullness. And this is what Jesus begins to talk about. He says, on that day, on the day uh, that they experience this uh, indwelling of the Holy Spirit, you will realize that I am in my Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. And then he goes into this uh, not to put too fine a point on it, he says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by my Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. There's some connection between obedience and experiencing the fullness of God. Now, there's no connection between obedience and his, him loving you more. Okay, we're saved by grace. There's no connection between obedience and being saved. That happens um, um, by grace through faith. What Christ did on the cross uh, pays that price. But there is something about feeling and feeling and experiencing the fullness of God that happens in obedience. And obedience almost always requires risk. As a matter of fact, even as I'm talking to you right now, the Holy Spirit, because <laughs> he's here and he's with you, is speaking to you. Maybe for some of you, it was like, man, God, I don't want to change that part of my life. Like, already, you know the part of your life you're supposed to change to experience the fullness of God. For some of you, the Holy Spirit's been telling you, you are valuable. <laughs> you don't need to go after all that other stuff. You're valuable enough. For some of you students that are here listening, the Holy Spirit has been telling you over and over and over and over and over again, you do not need to be known or built up by your peers. You are known and built up and created in the image of your Heavenly Father. You are valuable. For some of you, the Holy Spirit has been saying, you don't need to, your value isn't in how much money you make or your weight or what you look like or how your career is going or what your kids have become or not become. The Holy Spirit is speaking. He wants us to uncover that quenching and receive. He's an advocate. He's on our side. And so Jesus talks about these commands that to experience the fullness, to experience everything God has, we need to obey. And he goes on, because he keeps making this point. (laughs) Jesus replied, uh, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love them, and we will come to him and make our home with them. That is the the definition of the fullness of God. That you would experience his, his, uh, his love for you and his presence. And then he goes on. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. 
Jesus is saying this wonderful language that, that in this connection of the Trinity, God, your heavenly Father who created you, knows you, values you, Within his, within his persona, he knows you, he created you, he values you, he has saved you by his son, and now he wants to empower you by the Holy Spirit. He wants to empower you by his spirit, the advocate, the spirit of truth. He wants to tell you the truth about himself and to tell you the truth about you. Now watch what he says. Now he goes, wraps it back around again. All this... I have spoken while still with you. But the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. What this says to me is that the Spirit of truth, the advocate, is talking. He's reminding. He's prodding. He's poking. Have you ever had a time when you, you, you kind of were working through something in your life and then somebody preaches on it and you're like, oh God. And then all of a sudden somebody at work is like talking about it and you're like, okay, all right, I got it. And then somebody else is talking about it and then you flip on the, the, the radio and there's some preacher while you're driving and you're like, is, it, is this the only topic anyone? That's the Holy Spirit. That's the Holy Spirit talking to you. Now we can shut him out and say, well, I don't know, that was weird. Or we can invite him and say, Lord, like we sang this morning, come, Lord Jesus, come. What do you have to say to me, Spirit of Truth? Where, 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 where do I need to work in my life? For some, you've had it happen to you. It might have even happened right now as Kristen was uh, talking about children's ministry. Like maybe your first thought was, I could never do that. And there was something in the back of your head. Could I? <laughs> Could I? Could I? I don't have enough time for that. Do I? Could I? Could I actually take a step forward and actually volunteer in children's ministry? Which to you might seem like you might as well go and be a missionary in Africa. Because <laughs> you're like, I don't, I don't want to do that. Maybe, maybe the Holy Spirit's prodding you to do that. Maybe, maybe it's not that. Maybe it's something else. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to give the Holy Spirit a chance to speak. And so um, we're going to take a little bit of time of silence. And maybe for you, this is like the first time you've ever done anything like this, and you're like this, I don't even know what, silence, what am I supposed to do in silence? Be silent, okay? That's like the number one thing. There's some other things, but that's number one, is you, you be silent, okay? And we're just going to take about two minutes. You can start your silence off with this. Lord, speak to me. Speak to me. And we just allow the Holy Spirit to do what the Holy Spirit does. You know what the Holy Spirit does? He tells the truth. He's your advocate. Jesus said himself, he'll come and he'll teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. He's on your side. And so uh, we'll take about two minutes um, of, of silence and um, during that time, um, sometimes people will want to come to the altar, like the stage, and just kneel and pray. And just, you, you can do that. You can kneel if it's comfortable. You can kneel at your uh, chair. You can just sit there. You can stand. You can do whatever you want. 
We're going to take just a little bit of time. Just, you just say, Lord, speak to me. And see what he has to say. And then uh, Adjua will come up and will lead us in a closing song. Lord God, for those times we've heard your voice and ignored you, we're sorry. Please forgive us. For the times you've been speaking and we've been speaking over you, uh, forgive us. Lord, for the times that we've just didn't believe you cared enough to speak to us, we pray that you'd forgive us for that. Lord, we want to step into the fullness of your spirit. We want to step into the fullness of your voice. We want to open up the different areas of our life to walk in obedience so that you can uh, empower us, that we can sense your presence in new and tremendous ways. So Lord, as this time of silence, we just give to you and we pray that we would hear from you.
For some of you, that, uh, that might have been a hard exercise. Some of you might be a little disappointed that you, you were expecting to hear something and didn't. Here's what I would encourage you. Um, I've been married now for 28 years. Is it 28 or 27? 27 years. But I'm planning to make it to 28. Okay, no. Uh, when we first got married, it was, you know, communication doesn't just happen, okay? Like when we first got married, it was, you know, there'd be mis- miscommunication, misunderstandings, and all this kind of stuff. And over time, as we communicated and communicated and communicated and communicated, I can walk into a room, you could all be talking, and I would hear my wife's voice usually telling me to do something. But my point is this, because my ear is trained to it. For those of you who had a difficult time in those two minutes, I would say communicate, communicate, communicate. Keep talking to him. Keep asking him to speak to you. Keep inviting him in to new areas of your life. And you will begin to hear his voice. You will begin to unquench him and unleash him. There'll be scary times for sure, when you hear his voice and go, no, don't say that, right? Well, there'll be very, very sweet times where he tells you how valuable you are, how much he loves you, and that's going to be okay.